How many of you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Okay, thank you. How many of you believe that every single thing that the Bible has said is the true Word of God and has power? Okay. Last question. Do you believe that the, the Word, the power in the Word, has the power to change my life? Amen. Amen. So we'll look into something and see if we still say yes at the end of this. Okay? I'm going to go to Book of Jude as the scripture reading was read. Book of Jude is a very small book just before the book of Revelation. Small book. Uh, Jude, Apostle, uh, Jude wrote this book. Do you know who this person is actually? Jude? Saint Jude or Jude? He is... Let's, let's read the first portion of the book of Jude. It says, Jude, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So who is this Jude? This Jude actually is a half-brother of Jesus. And there are actually two people who wrote the Bible or whose books are included in the book of the Bible, 66 book of the canon, there are two half-brothers of Jesus. One is Jude. The other one is James. Book of James actually says that he's um, also that. So we have James and Jude. How do we know? Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, and, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and Matthew 13, 56, and 55, say that Jesus had mentioned Jesus' siblings. So Jesus' siblings were James, Joseph, Judas or Jude, and Simon. So there were a few brothers there, and there were unnamed sisters of Jesus as well. They were half-brothers and sisters of Jesus. And this Jude and James are the half-brothers of Jesus. And it's interesting how he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He's the older brother of Jesus, and he says, I'm a servant. That tells you something about how he's convicted and he's writing this book. Anyways, this book writes in verse 24 and 5 the beautiful doxology, the prayer at the end. And it says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with, his, with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and and forever. Amen. That you had heard this prayer many times. But let's look closely into this verse and see what it says. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you. This word able in Greek, do you know what that word is? Can you guess what that word is? If you have ever heard the Greek word for able, that is actually dunamai in Greek, where we get our English word what? Dynamite from. So when the Bible says this God is able to keep you, his power is like a dynamite, explosive, has the power to break through things, something that human beings cannot do. You can do it with the power of a dynamite. And his power is expressed in this expression, dynamite. 
So let's, let's read it this way. Now unto him that he is like a dynamite, power to break through things. He has that power to keep you from what? Falling. Falling. Have you sinned? Don't raise your hand. Have you sinned this week? Have you fallen into sin? How could you as Christians? Did you not pray? <laughs> we as human beings, we sin. Well, I have to admit, I'm a sinner too. We all are sinners. We have sinned. Yes, we have prayed. Yes, we have read the Bible. Yes, we asked God to help us, but we have fallen short because we are living in this world. But the Bible says, God is able to keep us from falling. A state Bible commentary says that. That means he, the one who, has, who accepts God's guardianship, can live above sin. Do you want to live above sin? Is that your desire to live above sin? Living a life that is not sinning, living a life that is away from falling into sin, do you want to do that? Is that your desire? Yes, as Christians, we want to do that. The question is, how do we do it? How can we do it? Because, let me ask you, that, yes, we sin, we have fallen, but what about Adam? Did he sin? Yes, he did. But think about his condition, his environment. Was he living in an environment where we are living in today like? Where we hear news of people like doing crazy things, like mass shooting happening, and parents killing their children, children turning around and stabbing their parents, and lying, and all, all the bad things happening. And we hear that. We don't have to pay attention. It's just, you, you just hear it all the time. Just turn the TV on, just put your phone on. I mean, there are all the bad things happening all the time. We are living in this kind of world. But was Adam in that kind of environment at that time when he sinned? No. He lived in a perfect condition. There was no sin. God made everything perfectly. It was beautiful. It was glorious. Yet, when he heard his wife come and say, Honey, what about this? Eat this. He knew what he was getting into. But he said, you know what? She's so beautiful. Let me just eat this. And he said, Ellen White said, he ate it quickly in a haste. He fell and he sinned. What about angels? One third of the angels, Bible says, have fallen. One third. I mean, they have seen the glory of God. They have seen how majestic, how glorious, how splendid heaven is, how awesome God is in his presence. We haven't seen God. We only have a glimpse of God from the word of God. But we haven't seen heaven. We haven't flown into heaven. We haven't seen the universe. We don't know what it is like. We only know what it, only the, we only had the glimpse, the, the shadow of what God is like, what heaven is like. And yet the angels have fallen. Then is there any hope? Is there any chance for us, someone like us, who've, who've had this kind of baggage in the past, who've had maybe not a perfect home that we grew up in, not in a society where it's, it's norm for people to sin, 
people to drink, people to curse, people to lie, do bad things. That's just the way how it is. How can we go against the stream and not be sinful and uh, overcome sin? How can we do that? The Bible says it is so. How can we do that? You know, if you think about the Bible, something that is so common, something that is so, so natural today was not so natural back in the days. And something that was so natural in the Bible times, it's so uncommon, it's so out of ordinary today. You know, if you pull out your phone, and if you look at a phone, if you talk to someone on the phone, is it strange? No. Pretty much everybody has a cell phone. Most people have a smartphone. So if you look at your phone while you're driving, like look at the map, GPS, while you're driving, it's not common. I mean, it's very common. It's not strange. But did you know, just about 15, 20 years ago, when cell phone was not so common, my first cell phone was as big as a brick. (laughs) It was heavy. You couldn't even put it in the pocket because it doesn't fit inside a pocket. You have to wear it on your belt. Do you remember that? And do you remember pay phones? Do you know what a pay phone is? If you are under 15 years old, do you know what a pay phone is? <laughs> do you know what a phone card is? <laughs> so you buy a phone card, and then you put it inside a card, inside a, you know, like pay phone with a card actually is more like fancy because you can have up to $5 and $10 and whatnot. Before, you used to have coins. Remember that you insert coins? And if you call long distance, man, it goes really fast, right? After about 30 seconds, it's out of coin, out of change. You have to insert more, otherwise it will get cut off. Now, the thing is that when I first got a cell phone, I I was in like high school and whatnot. Cell phones were kind of expensive, still expensive. I don't know how it was like you guys, but it was kind of expensive. If there is a payphone, I would rather go use a payphone. I have my cell phone, but I would go and use a payphone because it was cheaper, more reliable. I would rather go use a payphone, leaving my cell phone on my pocket, not in my pocket, on my uh, sign, on my belt. Do you remember that, that time? But nowadays, if you see a cell phone, if you, if you have a payphone, now you can't even f- find a payphone, maybe at an airport. If, if you see a uh, payphone, and then if you see a cell phone, which one do you use? Your cell phone. I mean, who in their right mind would go to a payphone and find coins and put it in there to call someone? Nobody does that anymore. But just about 20 years ago, it was funny. Like, if someone sees you, there's a payphone, and someone is standing next to a payphone using a cell phone, everybody would look at him like, what, what are you doing? There's a payphone. Why would you use your cell phone? Because it was expensive. You know? That's how it was. Nowadays, people don't even care about data anymore because it's all unlimited. Remember the time that you had like one gigabyte of data and two gigabyte of data? And if you, turn, if you forget to turn on your Wi-Fi when you get home, somebody is doing something and then everybody is already over the limit. I'm like, hey, and the dad yells like, who used up all the data? 
Nowadays, nobody cares. It's unlimited text, unlimited minutes, unlimited airtime, unlimited everything. Right? Yeah. So that is already a thing of the past. Can you imagine in the Bible times, there was something that when God says something, it made sense. But nowadays, when we hear it, it's nonsense. Can you relate to that? That's exactly what happened. When God said, I'll keep you from falling, and everybody understood that. But today, like, what is that? That doesn't make sense at all. That's how we get it, because we are used to in this world. When the Bible says, I'll keep you, he's able to keep you from falling, that expression, keep you from falling, that word appears in the Levitical sacrificial system. When the Bible says, I'll keep, so this, this verse, um, keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Present you faultless. That word faultless, it's a sacrificial term. Remember the story of sanctuary and sacrifice? When they bring a sacrifice, could it have a blame? Could it have some kind of fault? And can you sacrifice it? I have to go sacrifice a lamb. And, you know, if I take it to a market, if the lamb has a broken leg or blinded or has some kind of, some kind of like glitch or something wrong, like disability, do you think you can get full price at the market? Probably not. You know what? Let me take it to the sanctuary so I can just sacrifice it to God because I don't want to get paid less at the market. Could you do that? No, because the Bible says any sacrifice had to be blameless and perfect. That word in Jude 24, keep you from falling and to present you faultless, that exact word, amomoi, that word is used in sacrificial system. That means, what does that mean? Christ, our sacrifice, is also represented with the same word, meaning Christ was also amomoi in Greek, meaning he was faultless, he was blameless. God is saying, I can keep you from falling and present you what? Amomoi, meaning in the same way as Christ was perfect. Do you want to be perfect, friends? And God is able to do that. Now, question is, how? Can we do that? When Adam was not able to be sinless in that perfect condition, when angels were not able to uh, fall into sin, when they were not able to do it, how can we in our state do it? How can God keep us from falling? Now, the secret lies in this process. I found the answer from this, and I want to share this with you. Silver refining process. Do you own a piece of silver? Like silver ring, necklace, or earrings or something? Maybe like a little key? Uh, I don't know if I have any silver in the house. Maybe if I looked through it, I could find something. But silver refining process. This, I mean, I don't have a lot of knowledge about silver refining process, so I had to look it up. And this is what I came up with. 
First of all, when you find silver, it's not going to be like a shiny silver that you find from the ground. What do you find instead? You find natural ore, the rocks that you find that include the natural minerals like tin or copper or zinc, or it may also contain precious metals like gold or silver. You find those rocks, and what's the first step to refine silver or gold? You have to break the rocks. So that is found in Jeremiah 23, 29. It says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? So the, the silversmith will find the rocks that contain silver, and he will have to break it, break the rocks. That's the first step of refining silver. So when Christians, when we live our lives, we are like those rocks that have everything in it. We have sometimes greed in our heart. We have sometimes that selfishness. Sometimes uh, we have the spirit to lie to somebody or, or lust, covetousness, whatever that may be. We have that in us. And God has to find us and he has to break us first. That's the first step. Do you think it will be fun when God breaks us with his hammer? Is it fun when you get beat, when you get broken into pieces? No, it's not fun. But that's the first step. He has to do it to refine us. That's the first step. And then once it's all broken into pieces, like fine powder, and then he will have to remove dross. What it is is that he would he would put us the, the crucible, the second step, the crucible, so that he can, he can remove the dross. Second step crucible is the fireproof melting pot with extreme heat that can stand, withstand extreme heat. He would pour the broken pieces, the broken rocks into a crucible, and he would apply extreme heat to burn up all the dross. Now, when it's burning off the dross, which is the impurities from all the contained, do you think it heats up the silver as well? Yes, that heat, the same heat is applied to everything. The silver in it and the dross, whatever, copper or zinc or whatever things, or rocks, dust, it's all there. It would, the heat is applied to every single thing. Even the, the silver is heated up. Do you think it's fun when you are exposed in the extreme heat when you're about to melt? No, it's not fun. But it's the process. It's the process. It goes through the heating process. And then after the, the heat is applied, Proverbs 17, 3, it says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. When God tests us, yes, sometimes it feels like it's painful. Sometimes it feels like it's too much, but that's the necessary step for us to go through so that our silver can come out, can remove all the dross from our impurities. That's what God does. You know, the dross, when the heat is applied, everything melts, but while everything is all melted, Dross comes up to the surface and it floats. 
And then the silversmith will grab a stick, a metal stick or a glass stick, and it will dip its stick into the, the liquid and remove the dross on top. And then, so they will take the crucible out of the fire so they can work on it, and they will remove the dross from it and then put it back in to reheat. And then more dross will come to the surface. Up to, according to the historical record in the old times, Nowadays, they use different methods with, with chemicals and all that. But in the old days, that's how they did it. They would heat it up, take the crucible out, and remove the dross, put it back in up to seven times until it's purified. Up to seven times. And listen to what the Bible says. Psalms 12, 6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. So Bible is using that exact symbolism, exact story, to explain that to us, how it works for us. There's a story. The story is told that there, there was a group of women that met for a Bible study. And they came across this um, text in Malachi, chapter 3. It says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And the ladies were wondering, how does this apply to God? Like, you know, silver purifying, purifier, and silversmith, and, and God. How does it apply? And one of the ladies said, you know what? I'm going to call one of the silversmiths in town, and I'm going to find out, and I'll come back to you guys next time when we meet for Bible study. So she called a local silversmith at that time, and she made an appointment, and she went to visit that place. As she was there, she didn't explain why she was there and why she came to see what she came to see. She just didn't explain anything. She said, can you tell me how you refine silver? And he said, sure, come, come watch. And the silversmith was working, and the lady was watching. What happened was that this silversmith would, would put silver or pieces of silver into the crucible, and it would, he would heat up, apply heat in it, and everything will melt, and the impurities will float to the top, and silversmith will remove the dross until it becomes completely purified. Then he would make it. And what she noticed was that the very precise temperature is required. Meaning, if the heat is not enough, it's not going to melt it, it's not going to work. If, but if there is a little bit of too much heat is applied, the silver is damaged. So what the silversmith does is that he would apply heat and keep an eye on the silver the whole time. You cannot just turn the fire on and say, you know what, I'll come back in like 30 minutes and I'll see how it's gone, how, how, how it's doing. No, you can't do that. You will ruin everything. You have to have your eyes on it, like not even blinking. Have your eyes on it the whole time. Otherwise, it's not going to work. How does that work? What does that tell us? If God says, I'm a silversmith, I'm refining the silver, my children, children of God, He's saying, when God applies that, 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 that purifying process, removing dross, impurities from our heart, is God away from us? 
Did God put everything on autopilot and like, you know what, I'll see you guys, adios, bye. No, he's there. He's sitting in front of the crucible. He's watching the silver the whole time. His eyes are on his people the whole time as his children are going through this process. And second of all, this lady asked the question, so you are removing the dross and all that, but how do you know when it's done, when, it's, when you know that it's pure silver? 99.9% .9 silver, right? How do you know it's all done? And the silversmith said, oh, that's easy. When you see yourself, your image reflected on the silver, then you know it is perfect silver. I'm gonna play a video. This video, this guy is, there is a piece of silver and he's applying heat. When it melts, there is a point, like a split second of point that it will turn into like clear liquid, not clear, liquid, you can see yourself, the reflection. And then a few seconds later, it starts to burn away the silver. I'll play that and see, see, that, see that for yourself. Fire is being applied to that piece of silver on the bottom. Do you see the liquid? Do you see it liquefies on top? Could you not see that? Well, so it's paused right now. It's like a mirror. It's so clear, like a mirror. That's the point when you know that the silver is purified. What does that tell us? We have impurities in us, but when we melt enough, when all the impurities are removed, then the silver reflects the image of what? The silversmith. When we can reflect the image of our silversmith, God, in us, then that we know that we are pure. And God is working on us to do that. He's doing that precise work right now. But you know what? If we say, God, please stop working on me. This is too much. This is just too much. I can't handle it. And then what do you think God will do? Do you think God will apply more heat? And like, you know what? You need to get hammered, like, Ch -ch -ch. or more heat. Like, okay, I want to like, you know, give you that heat treatment. No, he's going to be patient with us. He's going to draw back. He's going to say, okay, I'll take it easy. I'll give you just whatever you can handle. And he's waiting on us. And if we have faith strong enough to say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you handle it. And if we rely on God, then God is going to work in our pace until he can remove the dross from us, one at a time, one at a time, until we become faultless, until we become presentable, amor moi in Greek word, faultless, until that time, he's working on us. Now, if we let God work, then he can make us presentable. He is able to keep us from falling and to present us less. That's what we want. What do we need to do if we want to do that? We need to let God work on us. If we say, you know what, God, 
I don't want that. Please stop. If you run away from God, then the heat is taken away. When you remove the heat while you're working on it, it gets colder, meaning you have to apply heat even longer to do it, to finish the process. So what we need to do, we need to trust God. We need to have this relationship with God. We need to have this connection with God. Yes, it's a lifetime work. It's not like God is going to be done away with just one week of church service. One Sabbath, you come and like, whoa, I'm done, I'm clean. No, I wish it would be that easy, but no. It's a work of a lifetime. God is patiently working on us. And when we wait for God to work on us, when we let God work on us, then he can find gold, pure silver, pure gold in us. After we are done, we'll come like gold. And I pray that you would submit yourself to God. You would ask God to work on you. And then when God works on you, yes, it may be painful. Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, it may be heartbreaking at times. But keep in mind that God has his eyes on you the whole time. He's never leaving you. He's right there. Sometimes it feels like God is not there. God is not hearing our prayers. But remember, God is refining you, meaning he is there. That's the evidence that he is there. And when does God know that we are ready? When we reflect the image of God. That's so interesting how silver is made that way. It's like you are applying heat, then all of a sudden it liquefies and all the dross is removed because if there is more dross, it distorts the image. When all the dross is removed, then it's the purest, like, like a mirror. That image, reflection of the image of the silversmith, then you know it is done. And I pray that God will test us, God will try us until God is able to keep us from falling and present us until faultless. Is that your desire, to be faultless before God? And I pray that God would test us, try us, and, and until it is all done, until we can reflect God's image in us, may God work on us. May we continue on that relationship, and may God find us faultless. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us, that you are going to work on us, and you have been working on our character. Lord, sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes it is like we are broken. Sometimes it is like it is too hot to bear. But Lord, we know that you are there with us. Your eyes are on us all the time, and you are carefully testing us. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to go through that process until we come out pure, until we come out to the stage where we can reflect your image, where your character is reflected on us. But Lord, we still have a long way to go. Lord, please do not give up on us. Please work on us until we come out pure, until we are ready for your soon coming. Please bless every single one of us, especially the hands that went up Please remember, remember their prayers. Work on their hearts. Work on their life stories. We may have different stories to tell, but Lord, please be with us. Help us until we are purified. Thank you, Lord, that you are the silversmith working on us until we are done. 
you are not going to give up. So, Lord, thank you for doing so. Until your coming, please keep us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team, please come on up. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Deacons, if you can please come forward and get ready to dismiss everyone. That would be great. Remember, we have a lot.